Michael, let's welcome a debut author who has written one hell of a book. Yep. Mr. M.P. Woodward, welcome to the show. How are you? Cheers. Thanks Cheers. So All right. Good to be here. Very excited to be here. We're assuming that's high-class vodka, so here we go. <laughs> it is. Not, not even ice. <laughs> so the handler, I think, comes out around Memorial Day, if I'm not mistaken. It does. It comes out on uh, May 31st. Awesome. May 31st. Right. Well, can you give our audience... Uh, a slightly redacted summary <laughs> no um yeah it's uh it's a it's about a uh, a divorced cia couple where um she is kind of the more senior of the two and is a sort of a, a senior level officer and uh her husband has left or her ex-husband has left the cia um kind of under a cloud of suspicion and um as it turns out, they are uh, there. The uh, the wife is given the assignment to work an Iranian problem that has to do with um, enrichment of uh, enrichment of nuclear fuel, uh, highly enriched uranium. And um, we have a, a well placed asset uh, that's there, but that asset was put in place by her ex husband. And now that he doesn't like to be around the CIA, he basically wants nothing to do with it. Do with it. He's something of a uh, recluse. Um, it's her job to kind of get them back on side, and they work together to uh, to affect uh, the mission, which I won't uh, which I won't, I won't give away any further. <laughs> no lack of tension there, huh? <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. Um, and um, I, in in doing this, I I really kind of wanted to explore thematically um, the idea that there are some bonds that just matter more than others, and so I, I like the idea of this couple who they're not, you know, they're not 25, they're more like, you know, in their kind of mid forties and they have, they have a daughter that they've raised together. They've had a life together and they've only been divorced for like, you know, a couple of years. And so the idea of them having to work together, some of the divorce is a bit raw, but there's also quite a bit of um, latent trust there. Um, that that comes through in the book, and that's that's why I wanted to make a uh, a big theme. Well, you you succeeded, and uh, the handler, yeah, absolutely, the handler is a gripping espionage thriller on its own, on its own merits. But it's that intimate relationship at its heart that you were just discussing with Meredith and her ex husband John that that I think takes it to a, a different level. And we've had a couple authors on the show with CIA backgrounds, at Amakatsu and David McCloskey. And we've discussed kind of the intricacies of the case officer, operative, handler, agent relationship. And it's already sort of fraught with a lot of tension that's natural, naturally baked in. But what inspired you to, to amp this scenario up with this estranged couple? What was the, the spark of inspiration behind that? Um, the, I, the, I, I guess I'd answer that in, in a couple different ways, maybe, maybe three different ways. Um, yeah. First, the inspiration for the actual story about um, an asset that, you know, has his own family life and has his own, you know, he's, he's Iranian and has his own sort of uh, concerns. That was really set off very crisply for me um, when the, um, the Iranians shot the Ukrainian airliner down over Tehran in um, January of 2020. 
And this is one of those disasters where you could actually watch it on YouTube. And it made it just very real and raw for me to think about, you know, there were a lot of Iranian students on there on their way to Canada, which I, I used in the, in the book. It, it made me think a lot about how angry an average Iranian citizen would have been to have lost somebody um, in that flight and how they might, how they might react. And so that, that actually set the plot in motion for me. Then when it comes to the, um, to the main characters that the husband and wife, I, I guess I had sort of two things on my mind. One is I, you know, I've been married for, for 28, 28 years. Um, happily, I've seen a lot of other marriages and you just sort of get to a point in your life where you want to kind of tell that story about that bond. And that's, um, that's something that, um, that I set to do, set out to do. The other is that um, a lot of uh, current um, espionage fiction has like really tough guys that don't have, you know, vulnerabilities and things like that. I wanted the man to have more vulnerabilities. I wanted him to be really damaged um, psychologically. Mm. And for the woman, I really wanted to show what career women are like. You know, I've spent more than 20 years working in tech as an executive and have come across some really, really impressive women that just keep a lot of balls in the air, um, manage very complicated lives. And I thought it would be intriguing to see a CIA um, executive like that. So those are kind of the things that, that came together for me. Yeah, nice. Um, Sean and I are writers, and we're keenly aware of the time and effort that goes into creating a debut that set, and the handler sets a new bar for debuts, believe us. Um, and as somebody who's intimately involved uh, that your prior work was with Amazon Prime, and it's still in its early years of you know, entertainment creation and delivery you know, business, how are you carving out your time writing this unbelievable book, folks? Unbelievable. How are you doing that as a corporate executive in the high demand field and writing and, and being able to manage really your first effort into fiction uh, at the same time? Yeah, I, I guess the, the first answer is that it was kind of therapy for me. Oh. <laughs> um, it, it was a, a little of it is a, was a little bit of my my Walter Mitty you know moment. Um, where uh, work can just get to you and you, you, know, you want that outlet. And yeah. um, the Amazon culture is sort of famously demanding, very demanding oh. and very um, defined, um, you know, almost cultish at, 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 at certain points. And so okay. it is much more than a job. It is, it is absolutely a life. And so I, I'm, I'm a, the kind of person that has always needed a, um, a creative outlet. So then, you know, the second half of that question is sort of, well, how do you find the time if the job is so busy? The job was super busy. Um, kind of two ways, well, three ways. One, um, I traveled a lot uh, globally. Mm -hmm. And so you have time on airplanes. But you know, it's, you yeah, know, it's yeah. kind of a, it was sort of a, a healthy creative pursuit. I made sure to get the thickest uh, opaque screen protector I could get because I just can't <laughs> write. If I'm thinking about a guy, you know, leaning yeah. over next to me. Um, so, so that was one. Um, the other is that I'm an early riser. Just, I can't help it. I sleep six hours and I go to bed early. So yeah. I'm up, you know, I'm up at four o'clock every day. And I, and I, and sometimes I wish I wasn't, but usually I would be working on this for like three hours before my, my day got going, mm. um, just as something to do. And then the third thing that happened was COVID. And so that took away the travel, um, part of this, unfortunately, but it did add in the side where I didn't have to commute to the office. So that morning time got even a little bit longer and the afternoon time 
got a little bit longer. So that yeah. was how I squeezed it in. But it was it was at the margins, um, and um, and it was that that was that was sometimes that was sometimes very challenging. Yep. Okay. How long from conception to the final book that was it for you? Well, I guess it depends on what you, what you mean by <laughs> final book. Um, uh, well, the timeline the timeline for me went something like this. Um, that thing happened when I was on my way to the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas. Um, so kind of an industry confab. And um, that was the day after that shootdown happened that I mentioned um, in Iran. And the the I just kind of thought about that story the whole way. Um, it was only like a three-hour flight, but I thought about the whole way there. And I got to my room at the wind and like hurry up and scrib started scribbling notes. And for some yeah. reason, I was just sort of seized by it. Um, so that was early January. Um, then I think I started, uh, I, I probably put pen to paper maybe the next week, the week after that. Hmm. So, you know, you're talking mid-January. And I had a, what I would call a reasonable first, I had the draft that I sent to agents, um, gosh, when was that? July? July. So I probably finished the book in June. So it was about six, six months, I would say. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's a hell of a, it's hell of a, it's killing Sean right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, we live and you'll know this as much as anybody working for Amazon. We live in a world of short attention spans. Uh, a lot of entertainment is geared towards those short attention spans. I grew up on espionage fiction of Lacare, Ken Follett, Ludlum, David Morrell, and while they all had satisfying action, they were all so thinking men's and thinking women's thrillers. Um, and I was struck by the classic quality of this novel in that regard. Uh, you, you took time to develop the secondary characters, including those working against um, John. And yeah. you, you very effectively balanced the pacing with telling a rich, broad story. So my question, after all that, is was is that a natural tendency of yours as a storyteller? Or was this there an intentionality to that wider canvas? Man, it's, first off, th th thank you. I, you're... you're your praise means a lot to me, uh, but it, the reason I smile is because, because I didn't know what I was doing. Um, and so <laughs> I, maybe that's a way of saying it came naturally, but I would, I would, I would say it, if I would put it a different way, the only way I could figure out to say like, well, why would this person do this? Why would this person do that? Was to tell a little bit of their story. And I didn't, it just didn't make sense to me to have kind of like a one-dimensional villain and it's like well he's bad because he's bad because he's evil because he's right. not american nothing like that and i just kind of wanted to tell the perspective of how a russian would think about it and how an iranian would think about it and that was as much me wanting to kind of you know show a little empathy to them but it was also me not not really knowing not really having another device for a, a, a reader to believe like well why would he do that you know or Come on, what what human being would actually do that and just feel okay about it? You know, those, right. those kinds of things. So I ended up with this kind of <laughs> panoply of characters, and I had in my head a highly climactic scene, and I had to get, you know, these these about five five different major characters to kind of all converge on that on that scene. Mm -hmm. um, and that was, you know, that was like the major thought in my in my head. Hmm. Well, speaking of characters, um, like parents, writers often claim that not to have a favorite, but we know that's not true. <laughs> so outside of your protagonist, 
Meredith and John, the, the, you know, formerly married couple, which of the other characters did you have the most fun writing about and why? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I wonder if this shows through, um, some people have read it, said it shows through, but Meredith's boss, um, Ed Rance is, um, you know, kind of, a early fifties, um, climber within the CIA who's highly political, um, has a number of uh, kind of moral compass issues, mm-hmm. but in a regular guy way, not in like like, a, like evil, you recognize you know, that type, yeah, exactly. And um, I think that <laughs> a lot, having worked in the the military and um, corporate America, basically all my life, um, I channeled a lot of um, thoughts around bureaucracy into the book, and I wanted. I kind of wanted to show that. I wanted my characters to get frustrated by bureaucracy. I wanted to sort of, you know, show people that swim well in it um, and, and and the different aspects of that. And for me, that rant is that rant is that guy. And I don't know. I've, this is back to that therapeutic comment. comment. <laughs> um, so so I, that's that's it. He's the guy for me. Did, did your wife give you a, like a little side glance? Like you seem to be writing this awfully well. Like. <laughs> Oh man, you know I worried about that. <laughs> I, I did. I, I actually, I actually, yeah. And, and there's some infidelity in the in the in the in the book. And um, I did. I, I was like, gosh, I'm going to have to just sit down and go. Like, you know, I'm not a professional author. I, I you know, I'm new yeah. to this. But I got to give it a shot. And um, these people need to be interesting, right? There has to be drama, and they're like, "You understand that, right?" Um, but I think that was more my nervousness because um, she is my very much valued um, first read. Um, oh, was on this book uh, is on the one I'm I'm working on now, and um, and and no, she she got it right away, uh, and um, was actually very as as you can imagine is very helpful on informing the point of view of the female characters. Yeah, for sure. Well, you, you touched on this a little bit just now. Um, you're a former naval intelligence officer. You worked in the corporate world. And the fact of the intelligence world and the bureaucracy, really, it, it echoes in the authentic, authenticity throughout the handler. But I, I was curious about how your other experiences or how the other aspects of your Amazon job um, did you draw from to create the fully realized novel? In other words, in your marketing efforts, you've been intimately involved with bringing dozens and dozens of stories to audiences. Um, does exposure to those stories, did that influence the way you structured your debut at all? Oh, without a doubt. Um, hmm. So I, I, in a couple of ways, one is that um, the, one of the, one of Amazon's strengths is it kind of famously connected and is obsessed with its customers and by customers, they mean the end customers. And in the case of, video and entertainment, which, which Amazon really invested in heavily in all the time that, that I was there, um, they were really thinking about, you know, cause so it made me think a lot more about the reader, you know, I mean, on a certain, to a certain level, I think every first time novelist is sitting there thinking, nobody's going to read this, right? It's never, never yeah. going to make it, you know, but, but I think having been around Amazon, I actually did approach it that, that way. Like you can't look, you you've got to keep this thing rolling. You can't confuse people here. You've got to satisfy here. You know, you kind of have to, to deliver on these, these certain things. So there was, there was that, there was also um, an aspect where um, I, my job was very international and um, 
connecting or seeing video connect with these other audiences, you kind of got an idea of what worked and what didn't. And I felt like the, um, the espionage uh, genre was really, was, 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 was not super well served. Um, like I, I didn't think there was enough um, happening there. I felt like, you know, when I was growing up in the, in the eighties, it was super popular. Tom Clancy was huge, all those kinds of things. And then I think I felt like it kind of went away. And so I wasn't seeing that as much. And so that, that impacted me. And then on the kind of marketing and positioning aspect, um, I, I was fortunate in that I got to meet um, a number of content creators and to hear how they sort of thought about things and this, to see things come together from in the world of video, which is much different from writing, yeah. to see them come together from like some pretty ugly stuff or very drafty kinds of things to a finished product actually made me think quite a bit about, about editing you know, and, and being cinematic and trying to keep things good and concise. And, and, you know, you, you have to show certain things, but you don't have to show a lot of other things and right. keeping it a good, a good clip. So yeah, I, I would say it, it had an influence on me. Hmm. Do, do you write visually or like I, since you were in that world, because I know I write visually, like I see a scene and I'm just copying down what I'm seeing. Is that how you go about it? Yeah. Um, that's, that's exactly, I, I would say I write visually and emotionally. So I try to see a scene and have, you know, certain, I, I, I try not to have descriptions overtake it. I feel, I feel like, I'm not sure how other authors approach this, but I feel like the reader will give you, you know, a paragraph, <laughs> to set yeah. that scene. you know, maybe a couple other sentences here or there, but um, you, you, you got to be super efficient on that. And then after that, it's the action within that um that setting that to me is very very visual i don't know how else you would do a book that has action in it without it being visual right, say, well right. you know how, how did that fist fly well what did the gun do you know <laughs> and right. i certainly learned that in the editing process that that you know people are very meticulous about about finding mistakes there yeah it's sure. really easy for well it, I, I guess we've done sean and i and, and chris we've done this for quite a while now and and we kind of probably do it like agents do. Like we kind of form an opinion about a, a new author from the get-go. And for me, I would say by the end of chapter two, I was drawing your writing style comparisons to like Robert Dugani, Mark Graney for sure. Even a little bit of John Sanford for me. Um, who have been your go-to authors that influenced you as an aspiring fiction author, you know, when you kind of got started in all this? Um. Well, in this, in the kind of, in the, in the, in this espionage genre, I would say early on, um, certainly, certainly Tom Clancy. And for me that when I was uh, in the military, he was a big deal. And yeah. that was sort of the technical aspect about being exacting on that, those kinds of details. He was also not afraid to have, you know, sweep with a lot of different characters. And that's, I did something where I brought in a lot of different characters and I was thinking, Hey, Tom Clancy did that. You know, maybe I can get away with that too, mm. um, which we, which we, which we talked about earlier. So, so certainly him for suspense. I was really, I really liked um, uh, Forsyth. Um, I really appreciated the way that he could sort of do a slow burn. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, I think back to Day of the Jackal. That that whole book's kind of a kind of a, kind of a slow burn. So, Masterpiece. Yeah. So 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 that that uh, him. I think in the more modern writers. Um, uh, Mark Greeny, um, for sure. I think Mark Greeny, to me, kind of defined like compelling um, action where you're just 
where you're just in it. And I was very impressed with him, um, with him as a reader. I, I like, um, I didn't read him until, frankly, after, I only started reading recently, but I'm enjoying David Ignatius um, quite a bit. Mm-hmm. I like his style um, a lot. So those are all the kind of the espionage guys from a, this may be totally dorky, but from a um, just general fiction point of view, um, I was really hooked on uh, Herman Wouk, like um, the Kane Mutiny, I've probably yeah. read five times, love that book, Winds of War, Warren Remembrance. Right. Um, you know, some, some of my favorites. And then um, um, uh, Patrick O'Brien, you know, the Aubrey Matron series, read those right. a whole bunch of times, um, C.S. Forster. So I sort of like that, those themes with honor and military, but as, as character-based as possible. That, I guess that's what attracts me. Okay. Well, as a married man of 27 years, so you got me on a next, next yeah. 27 years, so you got me for well, a year. 28 is hell. I'm more than <laughs> well, I'm well, 28 year itch. <laughs> yeah, right. By then, it's just callous, right? There's no more itch. It's over, yeah. Well, I'm well-versed on the subject. Uh, I'm not sure how proficient, but definitely well-versed. Um, so I, I used the word authenticity earlier, and the relationship between Meredith and John definitely rang true to me um mm-hmm. even though my wife and i aren't divorced or estranged yeah the, the interaction and, and how well they knew each other and, and how just all of that was extremely extremely um authentic so your wife you you mentioned was is your first reader so tell us what did you get wrong the first time <laughs> oh um yes yeah, that's, that's a that's a good question um First off, a little background on my wife. Um, we met in the Navy. Um, yeah. And we're both, we're, you know, she was a, she was a pilot when, and went to the Naval Academy. And so some of that, um, what I wanted in Meredith was to have some, not just that career woman stuff that I mentioned earlier, but doing that in an all-male world or not all-male, but, you know, yeah. predominantly male world. And I met other female Navy officers and, you know, knew, knew a lot about how my wife thought about about guys in that in that environment right? right and so i think i think i got that stuff right i think that the things where, uh, where i got wrong she might be like she wouldn't wear those clothes to this <laughs> or you know that the, the the way that you're talking about you know she wouldn't be attracted to it you know she'd freak out about that or um you know i i, I would say things like um you know what if a woman was kind of attracted to a guy, but, you know, women just aren't, you know, as visual, maybe. And then he was put off, what, like, what would that be? And she'd say, well, a guy who laughs at his own jokes too much, you know? So it's like just subtle things like that, that I would get down in a ham-fisted way and she'd come back with some, some good suggestions to make it more interesting. Aha. Uh-huh. So now we know who the true hero is for the authoring of this book, right? <laughs> Heroine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, so I'm reading this book and I'm saying, this is exactly like an Amazon Prime series, <laughs> <laughs> right? So looking forward now, you know, trying, now you're, you're starting out a career of full-time author from that corporate world. Was that something that you thought in the back of your mind? I'm going to make sure that this is a potential, uh, you know, series on, on, on Amazon. Um. God's honest truth. I didn't think anybody would read this, right? Like I, 
I, I like I said, I started off thinking this is this is fun. It's good therapy for me, and then yeah. then I started feeling like you know what though. I mean, oh, I like it, right? Um, and so then it, then things kind of took off. So I didn't have that in mind, but like I said, I was familiar enough with how filmmakers thought about the arc of a story, and you got to be tight in a film. You yeah. know, it's two hours, and so I tried really hard to think, and it seemed the way things had connected with audiences, and it seemed the way people reviewed various various films, and so I, I wanted it to have that beginning, middle, and end um, in a satisfying way so it was probably lurking back in, in in my mind but it wasn't like a strategy like oh okay. i know what i'll do i'll write a book and amazon will pick it up as a series and you know i'm gonna move out it. it wasn't yeah. that right <laughs> yeah so um a, a little of both i guess well okay i want to step aside from the hammer for just a second because this really goes to the core of like my interest intelligence officer, business executive, and now an incredibly badass author that people are about to find out. But what I really want to hear about is the work that you did with the upcoming Lord of the Rings series adaptation. Oh, so, well, um, I I didn't do a lot. I did nothing with the production. I just want to hear every th juicy detail that you got. Yeah, yeah. No, um, people at Amazon weren't weren't a lot like you know some of the things I could share is like the writers were locked in a room and they had their um, you know their timelines for the characters spread yeah. all the way across and and all these things going on for um, gosh for a long time for for like years. I was um, on the business end of the side, so more on distribution and setting up distribution around the world with um, media companies, telecom companies, guys like that. Who were all very very interested in it, but I wasn't um, I wasn't close to the to the creative content, so can't give you any juicy details there. No, that's disappointing. That's very disappointing. I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> I am disappointed sometimes. That's true. But... Just just make something up for my kids. Yeah, yeah, please. I, yeah. <laughs> I, I I will say that um, there's kind of a, a, a sort of an urban story within Amazon <laughs> that. Uh, Back when people were investing heavily in in Prime Video and everybody's searching for a hit, right? Like, how do you, how do you, you know? And so, like, House of Cards was a big deal. Yeah. And then Game of Thrones was a big deal. And there was supposedly, I wasn't at it, but there was supposedly an executive meeting where um, Jeff Bezos was saying, "Where's our show with dragons? Like, we need something, you yeah. know, like Game of Thrones. Where's our, where's our Game of Thrones?" And people took that away to me. He wants dragons. We need dragons. No, right? so not necessarily. Just find some dragons. And that gets a little bit back to my, um, what I tried to bring into the book is that crazy top-down mentality that can, ha that can happen uh, with people with opinions and, and, and certain foibles in large organizations like an Amazon or any other, right. you know, Fortune 10 company yeah. um, and places like the military. So I've, all my life I've been probably too amused by that it probably <laughs> held me back <laughs> so that's why i say writing about it was was always good therapy for me well speaking Thanks. of top down um you, as a former intelligence officer did you send your manuscript through a government review process where you did you have to do anything like that or since it was cia did, did it matter um i I didn't, um, first of all, so hopefully I haven't gotten myself in trouble, but I um, was pretty careful to make sure I used ev everything that I used was very much open source. So um, 
there were times when like, hey, for authenticity's sake, you could go, you could go a little, you know, deeper here. But there, there's really no need to do that. I don't think it would give any more, um, any more to the story. Hmm. Well, some of the conversations early on, I was like, damn, this must have just happened last week. So <laughs> uh, thanks. A lot of that is, um, it's just imagination. And, um, and I, I guess I, I kind of think about the intelligence aspect of this, or when I was writing it, I started thinking, because I mean, I've, you know, I have been out of the military for 20 years. So it's not like I was doing this yesterday. But um, I think the reason that it still hopefully comes across as authentic is because it's a little bit like if you went to medical school and you learned to be a doctor, treatments would change, right? New, new things would come along, the technology would change. But the basic process of being a doctor would be the same. And yeah. that's what I wanted to keep, um, to, to keep in the characters was that the way that they analyze was the same. And I really, I really wanted to tell the picture. There's a lot of spy novels out there and it's like, Hey, you know, we just need this one thing and this, and this spy has to get it. And it's just, just this one thing. Yeah. And what I really wanted to kind of get across was that, um, it's more of a global picture. Right, you have electronic, yeah. you have signals intelligence, which is communications intelligence and electronic intelligence, um, and communications intelligence, and so all those things kind of come together to form a picture. And it's the analyst's job to go like, look, here's the traffic coming in about this subject from this age. I mean, there's like 17, 18 intelligence agents, right? So right. here's what's coming in from these guys. Here's what's coming in from these guys. Here's what's coming in from these guys. Can we put that together? And you know, all source intelligence is what we used to call it. Right. inform the um the intelligence picture at not a tactical level like on the battlefield where a commander needs to take out you know uh, artillery on the other hill but at a strategic level like what 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 is happening here and that's that's really what i wanted to try to um bring in because i in my experience i had the benefit of being um close to some senior admiral's staffs, even as a um, junior officer. Mm -hmm. And so I saw a lot of that going on and contributed to that, to that analysis. And so it's sort of that not knowing that what are the other pieces of this puzzle that this enormous um, security establishment that we have in the United States, how do they all kind of contribute to that? I wanted to get that across. Right. Good. You did. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Another good news. Um, Mr. Woodward, you have reached the end of the main portion of the interview unscathed. You you um, this far. I don't see any scars or any blood or anything. So far, so good. No bleeding yet. I show our audience this cover. It's a glorious cover. Fantastic. And we we may still touch on the book, but we are now into the lightning round, which, mm. uh, as I often say, we grew up with our mom saying, think before you speak. And this is the point of the show where we encourage you to ignore mom's advice and not necessarily think at all that's right uh, <laughs> that's not that's not that hard for me so. <laughs> all right well i started off and um from your social media it appears you are an avid diver so i want to know what the most harrowing diving experience you've had and also want to ask you do you know that there's great whites off la jolla beach um for crying out loud and what the hell are you doing there yeah, avid avid divers is extremely charitable, and uh, that's back to the, the great magnification of social media. Um, <laughs> I I I, uh, I learned to dive while while in the navy, um, and did did that long time ago, and enjoyed that in some of the places where I was stationed uh, around the world, and I always really loved it. And 
it's only recently that I have this, this, this kind of lifestyle change where I can do things like that. Um, and so I went to recertify before, you know, killing myself. Um, and so when we went to recertify, we, were, we live up near Seattle. And it was like, hey, where can we go? This sound sounds awful. And uh, we were down here in San Diego for a little while. So, so we, we went and did it. We did it here and brought my wife along. And yeah, I, I definitely have one of those, dude, what are you, what are you thinking? You know, it's, it's April, the water's 60 degrees, the, 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 the waves were just pounding us. And so I, I, it was much different from where I learned in, uh, in Florida. Oh, yeah. I had to kind of navigate through these pounding freaking waves in La Jolla just to get out. And then underneath, you're doing these drills and the water um, was moving around so ridiculously that we were like, at some point, just kind of holding on to a rock, just trying to stay steady <laughs> while you're Jeez. going, all right, now I'm going to rip your mask off. You know, and it was like, man, I really should have thought this through, but, but uh, <laughs> it was too late. So I think sounds it, better. It was, it was just a week, uh, but, but uh, to that point about the sharks, I probably won't be diving in off San Diego again. You know, I think we're thinking more Caribbean places like yes, that. Yes. Mm-hmm. Go Grand Cayman. There's no great whites there that I know of. Um, yeah, anymore. Even though everywhere there, they don't show up there. Okay. Second question. My my daughter just went to a place that I saw a picture of you at. Um, what was the biggest dog you've ever seen at the Coronado Dog Beach? Uh, great. Well, Great Dane, but I saw a Great Dane mixed with a horse. I think I don't know what it was. This is just the other day. Um, so probably a. It was a Great Dane that was probably mixed with a bull massive because oh, it had kind of extra extra jowls um, so he had both the height and the and the bulk he was an intimidating figure i mean I, I think that means it's a it's a mastodon because it and i think the mom is a mastiff and the father is a great day and that's how you get the height and the, oh and so the, people do that on uh, on purpose yes yes I would exactly. be one. I, I don't have that dog yet, but I, I do have a Great Dane. But I would love a Mastodon. You do, Come yeah. On. I've I've, no, I've known a couple. Of, I've had a couple friends that had Great Dane. They seem like really, really um, sweet. sweet. Um, I, very sweet. I mean, the thing that it just seems like a lot to take care of. You know, yeah. like even in the yard, <laughs> picking things up. She's like, yeah. That, that's that's yeah. the. That, but that's the most of it. I mean, she's she's lazy as hell, um, <laughs> and she's a, she's she's a good um she, she's a good burglar um deterrent even though she would probably show them where all the nice things were if they actually- <laughs> yeah yeah no doubt all you need is a shadow for that yeah, dog. exactly okay so my last question um i just been since i finished the book i've been thinking about adaptation and i thought what if what if you here's my pitch you adapt it but it's a sitcom and the handler is the mother-in-law um well, it would certainly up the up the tension, um, <laughs> and and you could kind of introduce that wacky older component too, right? So I think the the, the unfiltered, judgment, yeah, yeah, the yeah, you lose the filter. Yeah, uh, there's that, and then um, I, then I think the judging, right, would would, <laughs> would be helpful. <laughs> Making yeah. sure there's more more active comment on mission, uh, mission debriefs. Mission debriefs would be brutal. <laughs> absolutely absolutely and then the physical aspect you know throwing that person into some fight scenes might be fun absolutely i like it Ooh, all right that's our number 273rd idea that we have to act upon <laughs> all right my turn here all right sean and i have been wondering this for quite some time now and you should have some inside knowledge to this um 
When is our pitch to Amazon Prime, the dirty secrets of fiction authors, scheduled to start filming? Uh, listen, there is so much money flowing into uh, the screening <laughs> media players right now. Uh, we used to joke that um, that the Netflix answered the phone by going, hey, it's Netflix, we'll take your show, right? Yeah. So all you really need is a phone number, and, and, uh, and you're, you're, prob you're probably in. All right. Good news. That's good news for us. All right. Number two, um, we love Tom Colgan. And as Don Bentley rightly references upon our constant reminders, it's the Tom Colgan. So you're going to have to learn mm -hmm. this pretty quickly. So like whatever you reference him, it's yeah. the Tom Colgan. Yeah. So I've had this idea for quite some time now, even before we've we met. Can you confirm this is my suspicion that I think he's an intelligence agent hiding in plain sight? Well, of course I can't confirm it. Well, I mean, no one's going to watch this show, so you could sit between the three of us. So. <laughs> it would be dangerous. It is. It is scary. Uh, all that Tom. All that Tom knows, and um, I guess that comes from a lifetime of of uh, reading thrillers and and also probably debunking them, right? So, um, yeah, he's. I, I guess I have the same question, right? I don't know. He might be he right. Might be. Seems yeah. like the guy. All right. All right. So last question of the day. Um, and you referenced this. There are uh, over a dozen uh, intelligence agencies working throughout the U.S. government. Um, what's your elevator pitch that the Navy intelligence agency beats all other sectors? Well, this Navy, guys, that's one. Um, the uniforms is two. Dress uh, whites are beautiful. Got to see. Yes, yes. I'm very excited about the new Top Gun coming back, although it competes with the launch of my book. I'm sure Tom Cruise is very nervous about that. Um, it, it, it is to be, to be mildly serious. I, I did one thing that I did like about, I mean, you know, admired about Naval Intelligence to this day is that it, um, it's highly global. Um, you, you know, the, the oceans cover 70% you know, of the earth's surface and, um, it's a very, it's kind of, a, the assets are sort of more strategic. So some military intelligence is of a much more tactical nature. What I was thinking about the Navy was that it, um, it really had to think a lot about, hey, what are they doing? Like, why are they moving this fleet? You know, right. uh, those, those kinds of things. And you were covering, you know, pole to pole and all the way around. So I always kind of, kind of dug that. Um, yeah. And I just love, and I just love to see. Okay. There you go, folks. Well, we love this book. You love the sea. I love the sea too, but I don't get to spend nearly as much time on it as I'd like. But we did love this book. I think everybody's going to really dig this, this novel. Um, it's, yeah. as I said, it does not read like a debut. It, it, uh, <laughs> it's, it's mature in every way from a writing perspective, but it right. also, just, it, it has elements of, of the classics I grew up on that you just don't see very often. And um, thank you for writing it. And we can't wait to read the next one. Thank you for reading it. Thank you for everything you just said. Thank you yeah. for having me on. I can't thank people enough. Um, I am extremely um, grateful that uh, at the reception that that it's received, um, and uh, I I just loved I loved writing it. I loved the characters. I'm I'm really enjoying writing the next one. Um, it's uh it's one of those things where you're just you're just very very happy that all these these things lined up. So so thank you very much. Yeah, and folks. I know we talk about debuts of the year and this, that, and the other. this, in my mind, this is going to be in the running for, for debut of the year. Um, it really is. And so 
take it from us. We read, Sean and I read over a hundred books a year at least. And quite frankly, this looks like book five, book 10 of a series. This does not look like somebody's first effort. This is going to be one of the top debuts of the year, if not the top debut of the year, guaranteed. And if you don't, if you don't believe us, believe Mark Graney, believe Don Bentley, believe Mark Cameron, and believe the Tom Colgan, because right. all those you know, they're thrillers and they, uh, they felt the same way about it that we do. Yep. All right. Thank you guys. I'm super, super humbled by that. I really appreciate that. And can't wait to I see your next one, pal. Uh, Seriously. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Almost. I'm almost, I'm almost done. So working on it right now. It's, uh, all right. We're, we're through the, uh, we're through the second draft. All right. So, cheers. And we'll see you next Monday on the career reviews. Take care. Thanks everyone. See you. Bye-bye. Well, Michael, another great show with another great new author. Um, you and I both love the book, The Handler, but uh, yes. hey, what? I, I love that conversation with M.P. Woodard as much as I did the book. Um, yep. The guy is definitely going to be a success in this field. Uh, I'm going to sell the heck out of this book. I know you will as well. And yes, uh, just really enjoyed it. This is a killer, killer debut. It could be number one. Take it from us, folks. I wanted to hate him because I know it's like, too good. It's strong, too good, but he's too damn nice. Yeah. But well, good time. We will see you next time on the crew reviews. Cheers, everybody. Mm -hmm. Yowza. <laughs>